I'm telling you what, if you stop and think about that thing for a second. Uh, you know, you'd, uh, when you, we get to heaven, I, as they sing that song, my mind just goes out there and just wanders. I'm sitting there thinking, I said, you know, I've had somebody ask me the other day, well, how, how's everybody going to see Jesus at the same time when he comes? Because everything else is going to go away and all you're going to do is see him. There ain't going to be nothing else out there. Stars will pale. I mean, they'll pale behind him. Uh, really, when you get to heaven, you won't see no stars. You'll see Jesus. The light will be him. Uh, and you don't have to worry about it. It could be coming from every angle in the whole wide world, you, in, in the universe. If you can leave this earth and get to the clouds and as fast as he gets from here to heaven, it won't take you very long to be with him. Just a couple nano, nano, nanoseconds, probably picoseconds. I mean, just like, boom, you're there. Uh, you won't have to worry about that thing. I'm telling you what, it's uh, heaven. Heaven's where you lay your stuff up. He said, lay your treasures up in heaven. Heaven's where it's at. Uh, this is just a veil of tears. I'm telling you, brethren. Uh, he sang some really good songs. And I like that one. I was asking Beth what the number of that one was, and thank God he left the little paper up here. Because me and Beth was looking at it, and she goes, I don't know what it was. It's amazing. You sing one song, and you forget what the next one was. After you sing the next one, the next one's so good, you forget what the next one was. And you, you have, after a while, they all seem to, to be uh, molded together. Was that Angels uh, from Realms of Glory? Uh, Adam, was that it? Yeah. Yeah, 99. I'm telling you what, uh, come, come and worship, come and worship, worship the newborn king. And uh, we, got, we got an opportunity to worship him. Uh, we got an opportunity to, to spend some time with him. Uh, I'm talk, we're going to have a uh, midweek or midnight uh, watch night service. Thank you. And uh, it, just start thinking about, we'll talk about it again Wednesday night. Uh, but we, uh, I'd like to get some preachers, some, you know, all of our preachers together. And we, we went through, I mean, we made it another year. That's amazing to me. I thought we'd be out of here by now. I really did. I thought the Lord was going to come back. But he's got other plans. And I just need to get into his plan just like everybody else does. But 2022 needs to be a year that we come back out of this thing, us. And uh, we've, we've sit down, we waited, we backed up, we let everything catch up. We've done some of the basic things. We got, we're still moving along at a, a good pace. I'm, I'm happy with where we're at. But uh, we need to come back out of this thing, and Dayton needs to know that Anchor Baptist Church is still here. So if you get your mindset on some things on what you would like to do in 2022 uh, as a ministry, as a church, uh, and just let's get together on, on uh, it if we want to do that. So if, if we get everybody together and say, look, man, can we just chill out and not do anything? We can do that too. Really, it's up to you. The church, it's for you. It's not for me. Uh, I'm not here to push something. I know it's been a rough year. Uh, it's been actually a rough couple of years. It's strange, just a strange time in life, uh, but you can't stop. Yeah, you can never stop. If you ever stop, uh, what you do is you start taking your eyes off heaven, you start putting your eyes down here, and then uh, you mully grub and you get tired and you get wore out. Well, if you're going to get wore out, you're going to get wore out anyways. So why not just get wore out for Jesus? I was talking to, to uh, Brother Joe today, Harrison. He, he was like, well, I used to work 80 hours a week. I can only work 75 now. Uh, and I mean, when you're talking to somebody like that, you just want to smack them because, I mean, unless you're doing 75 hours, you really have no way to talk to them about uh, when, when is enough time. Uh, it's, it is amazing. Brother, brother, I'm telling you, I'm 64 and I, can't, I don't see a slowdown point. I don't see a place to jump off. And I wish there was sometimes, but there is no place. So you know what you got to do? You just got to keep on going because one of these days he's going to come back. And when he does, I want him to come back and get me. I want, him, I want a smile to be on his face. And I would really like him catching me doing something for him. Not for me, but for him. So, Brother Joe, if you want to come on, uh, we'll let you get started, and, and I, won't, I won't say nothing about your message. <laughs> All right, well, 
Take your Bibles and go to Matthew, Matthew chapter, uh, oh, I think it's five. <laughs> i got several passages in my head right now, so... Um, <clears throat> Book of Matthew. Just kidding, it's Matthew chapter 8. I knew we were close. That's right, amen. We're not too far away here. Matthew chapter number 8. We'll start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See thou, tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Brother Adam, Andrew, would you go ahead and pray for the message tonight, brother? Amen. You may be seated. Again, to say that it's good to be in church is, a, is an understatement tonight, but I, I, I do love the fact that we have been, uh, like, I said, like Pastor was saying, coming through these last couple years and, um, you know, still together and still adding, seeing people, you know, coming out and adding to the church and that kind of thing. And it's a, it's a testimony and it's a blessing to be a part of. It's a privilege to be a part of. And uh, as we open up the Bible tonight, uh, a lot of these messages I think that I'm coming up with now are just kind of spinoffs of what I'm doing in Sunday school because what I'm trying to do with the teenagers right now as we go through the teaching of the life of Christ is every, every benchmark that we hit, what I'm trying to do is, is really kind of mine some things out of each one of these, uh, these uh, encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason I'm doing that, not just to give them some practical and some doctrinal things that are, that are present in the passage, but I want them to be able to read the Bible and learn how to dig and get something practical out of the Bible that they can immediately apply to their life. And therefore, reading the Bible isn't just putting stuff in their head, it's getting stuff in their heart. That's, that's really what the Bible, uh, the, 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 some of the skill set I want the teens to come out of the teen class. When they come into the adult class, yeah, I want them to be doctrinally rounded. Yes, we want them to, to understand some of the way that the church works and that kind of thing. But I really would love for them to have a basis of when they get into their Bible, they know how to dig. And uh, the reason is, is because the Bible isn't just deep, it's also wide. And you have to learn to appropriate some of those things out of the well that is the knowledge and, and the wisdom of God, which is His Bible. And here in Matthew chapter 8, I just love 
the way Jesus Christ does things and lays things out in his Bible. And uh, as, as, we, as we look at Jesus Christ in this passage, if you understand what's been going on, this is really early on in his ministry. If you know uh, chapter 4, you have uh, the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, he goes up to the mount, and then he comes back into the the areas of Galilee, and um, you know that in Matthew chapter 5, you have him going up, and from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's his first big discourse with anybody uh, in his earthly ministry. Again, he starts his earthly ministry being tempted of the devil. And then uh, uh, very quickly after that, he comes, into, uh, he comes into this sermon on the mount. And if you understand doctrinally where you're at, you know that the Sermon on the Mount is a millennial passage that is going to be applicable to Jews doctrinally uh, during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, the Beatitudes and that kind of thing, although there's lots of practical great things to glean out of those passages, doctrinally, as far as where they sit dispensationally, it's millennial. Okay. And uh, but he's coming through here and there's a practical thing that's being that's taking place here that we have to understand. Back in the book of Proverbs in chapter number 14 and and the verse, the particular verse escapes me at the moment. But the Bible says in all labor, there is profit. But the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. And Jesus Christ isn't just a good talker, right? You ever meet somebody who's just a real good talker? They know exactly what you want to hear and they know what they should say and they say it and they, and, and, and they can you know, paint a wonderful picture with their words. But then there's something, there's an emptiness to their words, Right. Pastor gives the illustration of of John over here at the house and he says, words, words, words. That's all they are is words. There's no there's no oomph behind it. And what Jesus Christ is doing here in Matthew chapter five through seven, and he's preaching and he's telling them things. And it's amazing the stuff that he's telling him. And uh, and these people are kind of sitting there with their ears pinned back in verse twenty nine of chapter number seven. The Bible even says For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This authority that he has. And just so that they were uh, making, and just so that they, if in case they were wondering, if all he was going to do was come and preach some flowery sermons, you have chapter 8. Chapter 8 is Jesus Christ putting the rubber to the road. It's Jesus Christ putting some shoe leather to what he just said on the top of a mountain. If you look in, uh, uh, in, in verses 1 through 8, you have him healing the leper. In verses 5 through 13, you have the centurion servant that is healed. And then in verses 14 through 18, you have Peter's mother-in-law getting healed. Why? So he can, ju- so he can show them that he has the power over the physical. In verses 23 through 27, he calms the seas. To show that he has power over the circumstantial or the situational. And then in verses 28 through 34, he casts out demons from a man to show that he has power over the spiritual. That he has power, he has dominion over all of these things that one would face in their life. And he says, I have the credibility. I don't just talk a good game. I can then come forth and show you firsthand that I can get the job done. Amen. 
Amen. And he can get the job done. Jesus Christ, he's able to take a situation that seems hopeless, that seems that there's no uh, way out, and he can make a way out. He can take a situation that you and I think, man, I just don't see it. I just don't, I don't know how I got here, but I'm here and there ain't no way out. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in and changes everything because he has the power to do so. And uh, I'll tell you, there's some, there's some practical things here in this passage in verses number one through eight that uh, there's a principle that Jesus Christ is showing us and we see the application of it as far as you and I are concerned in verses one through eight. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is this, this, this leper. This leper, and if you've ever, you know, read Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, and you read it with, a, with, a, with a, a mind trying to see that leprosy is a type of sin, then you would kind of maybe feel a little bit more comfortable with what I'm about to say. But this leper, he's, he's an outcast. His, 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 his leprosy has has caused him to be pronounced not sick, but unclean. If you consider leprosy as a disease, it's funny because it's a disease that scripturally is not not deferred to physicians to treat. It's committed into the hands of the priests, which is peculiar, but then tells you that there's a type there. If it's a sickness, why wouldn't it go to the physicians? No, rather it goes to the priests to identify and not to cure, and not to die, and not to treat, but to pronounce whether they're clean or unclean. And this man has been pronounced unclean. The Bible says uh, that this uh, that this man is uh, is um, a leper, and he says that he comes to Jesus Christ. And if you look in verse number one, the Bible says, when he was come down from the mountain, talking about Jesus, great multitudes followed him. And this man, and this man runs to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that he worships him. And then so as you look, th- as you look through this, you, you, you wonder to yourself, why, why in the world did this guy run to Jesus Christ? Well, you know that the Sermon on the Mount takes place on a mountain. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> right? That makes a lot of sense. But could you imagine with me, if you will, as some commentators say, that there's a good likelihood that this leper found himself in a place afar off, maybe with an ear cast of what was being preached. And that this leper is, though not allowed to go into the city, because he's cast out of the city, but the Bible tells you that when Jesus Christ came into a certain city, this leper goes to him. He had no business there. So where did he hear who he was? Well, there's a good chance because it's early in his ministry. There's some, there's some things that have taken place prior to the Sermon on the Mount that uh, his fame is said to have uh, gone throughout the regions of Galilee. And so there's a possibility that maybe he heard uh, from, a, uh, from somebody uh, out and about uh, of the fame of Jesus Christ and the, and the things that he was accomplishing early on in his ministry. Or... He heard that there was a ruckus up on a mountain somewhere. And timidly, he finds himself, you know, walking and kind of just listening to Jesus, who's who's preaching to, the Bible says, multitudes. 
And if I, and if I consider that, I, I think about, you know, the, the preachers of the Great Awakening revivals, the George Whitfields of the world, and, and, uh, and, and these men that would preach, and the Bible says you could hear their voice a mile away. With a boisterous voice, I think Jesus is preaching, and it echoes down the corridors of that mountain. And this leper's sitting there, mully grubbing, and all the, 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 the situation he finds himself in. And God knows how long he's been separated from his loved ones, and how long he's been separated from society. And he hears an echo. He says, what is that? There's a ruckus somewhere. There's multitudes of people, and there's this man screaming. <laughs> And he winds his way up some trail that surely only he's trod before. And he was in within earshot. He sees a multitude. He says, well, I can't get close to them. I know the rules. But he hears something that he's never heard before. And he hears the conclusion of it. And he hears the amen and the altar call or whatever takes place. And Jesus Christ starts to trek down the mountain. And based upon what that leper heard... He decides to respond to what he heard. That's what we should do, right? There's, you want some practical, some just down-home practical help? You know what you should do as a Christian? You should respond to what you hear. You should respond to what you hear. When, when, when someone is preaching, the, the, the proper thing to do is then absorb to the best of your ability what is being said and then respond according to what you hear. That is what a Christian should do. That's church, right? You don't just prepare sermons and pastor doesn't labor in prayer and in sermon preparation to get up there and just watch a bunch of eyeballs, you know, flicker at them for a while. And then when it says amen, everybody goes about their merry way. There's a reason that we sing a song, an invitation song at the end of the service. Why? To give people the opportunity to respond to what they hear. We live in a day and age where nobody responds very much anymore. They don't respond. You wonder what this man, you know how he responds is amazing. I love it. He has the right approach. The Bible says that he worshiped. Pastor mentioned worship, so I guess he did talk about my sermon. So I guess we're even. <laughs> but if you take a, a, quick, a quick walk with me, if you will, through this, uh, this, this thought, uh, go to Mark chapter 1, please. Mark chapter 1. Because this account is one of uh, the accounts that shows up three times in your Bible. And what I was explaining to the teenagers this morning as I was going through this, this is somewhat what we call the harmony of the Gospels. And that is you have different accounts of the same, of the same uh, instance and each one of them has details that sheds light. And so you get a full picture of what it is you're reading. And in Mark chapter 1, in verse number 40, the Bible says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, canst thou, make, uh, thou canst make me clean. And taking your hand again and, and going over to Luke chapter number 5. That's where I got my chapter 5, by the way. I didn't just forget completely. Luke chapter 5, look in verse number 12. The Bible says, and it came to pass 
when he was uh, in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face. You say, what, what are you trying to get at right here? I'm trying to show you something here. His approach to the Lord Jesus Christ when he heard what he heard and he realized who he, who he was, he has the right approach. The Bible says in Matthew that he worshipped him. And then he shines a little bit more light in Mark when it says that he kneeled down. And then in John or in Luke, he gives you even more light. The Bible says that he fell on his face. What's, what am I trying to tell you tonight? You, uh, he, mentioned, he mentioned worshiping. And, and I was talking to the teenagers this morning, and I said, you want to know, the funny thing is, is the majority of the Christians that they talk to, whether it's at work or at school or wherever they find, and the majority of Christians you talk to, you know what, when you mention the word worship, it goes to one place. And that's somebody playing music or pumping somebody up and shouting and hollering and everything else. That's not worship. That's not worship. This, this leprous man, the Bible said, is full of leprosy. And if you know anything about leprosy, leprosy is something that takes place gradually. So in order for him to be full of leprosy, that means there had to have been, an expe- there had to have been uh, uh, a, a great amount of time that has passed with him having leprosy. And the Bible says that he falls and he worships him. But then he gives light and he says it's, he's kneeling. I was doing some research uh, the other day. And in, the martial, in, in martial arts, there's all different kinds of martial arts. There's you know, judo, there's, there's Muay Thai, there's all these different things. A lot of these, a lot of these martial arts, they, they are stand-up martial arts. There's some takedowns and that kind of thing. But a lot of it, whether, with any kind of striking involved, the reason that it's called a stand-up martial art is because you're able to generate great amount of power from your feet being flat on the ground. You're able to rotate, you're able to pivot with your back foot, and you're able to really increase amount of power in a strike because you're using your lower body against the earth to produce an attack. Now, in the discipline of jiu-jitsu, it's funny because they realize that in a combat situation where somebody's attacking you, it's best for you to take that fight to the ground because on the ground, when you, when you go from here to here, you're not able to generate as much force the lower you go. You see what I'm saying? I can't, I can't produce a lot of force right, right now. Not as much as I could when I was standing up. But when I go and I fall on my face, right, I have no offensive ability whatsoever. In the art of jiu-jitsu, when they score in competition, they, uh, they allow, they call them pins. Different places how you, can, uh, how you can control the person that you're fighting against. One of them is knee, on, is knee on belly, where you have one knee on their midsection, and you have one knee over there on their back, and, and your knee's on their belly. Another one is full mount, where your hips are past their hips, and you're over top of them, and their face is right here, and you, they're, they're wide open. Those are great offensive positions. If someone gets in your full mountain, they know what you're, what you're doing, you're going to go to sleep. 
I mean, that's what's going to happen if they know what they're doing. You're going to break some bones or you're going to go to sleep. If they get you knee on belly, they can get you an arm bar that fast. Right? If they get you in side control and they can control your head like this, you're going to go to sleep. All of those are scored lower points. And the reason that they're scored lower points is because in those positions, you have the ability to use striking at your advantage. So they consider that a lower point score. You want to know what the highest point score in a jiu-jitsu pin is? If you can take somebody's back. If you can take somebody's back, you do not have the ability to use striking. Because in order for you to control their back, your hands are, are, are there and your feet are locked over the back of their legs. And you don't have the ability to strike unless you're, you're going to lose position on their back. Do you realize what he's showing you here in this passage? Worship isn't just on your knees where you still can, you can still grapple, you can still do certain things. Worship is your face on the ground with your back fully exposed. That's what scores the most amount of points in jiu-jitsu. Because there's nothing you can do. If somebody, gets, if somebody gets on your back, yeah, there's some escapes. But if you're an experienced jiu-jitsu guy and you get somebody's back, it's nighty-night, ladies. <laughs> Might as well sing them a lullaby on the back. Okay? It's absolute submission. It's, you know what, Lord? I'm getting down here, and I don't even need to look at you. I don't need to know what's coming. If you want to kill me, you can kill me. If, if, if I've overstepped my bounds, coming into this city, meeting you the way I have, I'm done. I'm down here, and there's nothing I can do. It's the weakest position that you can be. And he says, that's worship. That's worship. You know the first time the word worship shows up in your Bible, right? In Genesis, with Abraham offering Isaac, he says, me and the boy are going to go up and we're going to worship. Right? That's worship. Complete submission to the will of God. If you go to, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in the case of the lady, uh, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. It's funny, I don't, I don't think it's coincidental that uh, as Jesus Christ starts to go through his discourse with her, and she, and she starts off saying, uh, I'm a woman of Samaria. Why are you talking to me? you got no business with us. And he says, you don't know who you're talking to. Because if you knew who you were talking to, uh, you wouldn't have just uh, said you'd give me some water. You'd, you'd ask me if I could give you some water that uh, you'd never have to thirst again. And, of course, he, he kind of gives, gives, uh, gives her the good news. And she says, Lord, how can I get some of this water? He says, why don't you go get your husband? And she he says, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You got five of them. <laughs> and she says, well, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And you know what she does immediately? After, that's verse 19. You know what she does in verse 20 of that passage? You know what she brings up in her defense? Because she doesn't want to deal with it. She doesn't want to deal. She doesn't want to give up her back. You see? You know what she brings up? She says, you people say that we, have to worship, that, that we can't worship in this mountain. We have to worship at Jerusalem. She brings up worship. And, she, and you know what he tells her? He says, woman, you don't, he says, you don't know what, you, what to worship. Salvation is of the Jews. 
He says, and there's a time uh, now, or there's a time coming and a ta- time now where, guess what? The true worshipers of God, they need to worship God in spirit and in truth. Pastor said it, he said it just a second ago. You know, we need to, what we need to do? We need to get back to actually worshiping God. So many people think that worshiping God takes place at the beginning of the service. That's your opportunity not to worship God, but to praise God. That's, the, that's, that's so important that the Bible says it's called a sacrifice of praise. It's important that we don't get that twisted. It's important that we don't mistake our opportunity to praise God with our opportunity to worship God. Because both are important. And a sacrifice of praise means, well, I got up on Sunday morning or I I came back on Sunday night or I came here on Wednesday night and I have all this stuff in my life that's against me and I got work going on and I got school going on and I got this going on. And you know what I did? I put it all aside and the minute the piano starts playing, I can lay all that stuff aside, sacrifice my circumstances and sacrifice my inefficiencies and sacrifice all my pain and suffering and I can now lift my voice in joy and in jubilation and Sing to the Lord. That's a sacrifice of praise. Worship, on the other hand, is a time when people find themselves on their faces before the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, What's, what are you trying to tell me tonight? Some things transpire in this, in this short few verses. And this man responds to what he hears And it's important that you realize when you respond to what you hear and you have the right approach to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's when you start to worship the Lord. How long has it been since you worshiped Him? I've been in a lot of song services and... Yeah, but when was the last time you worshiped Him? I mean, we have another question. When was the last time you sacrificed praise? He has the right aim. He has this multitude of people following Jesus Christ. And you know what? There's only one man in that whole city at the time that runs and, he, and he, fixes, he fixes his eyes on Lord Jesus Christ. He knows exactly what he wants. He, know exa- he knows exactly who to go to. He has his aim set. He runs right to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one that can truly take care of him. The only one that he can bring his petition to that has the power to do anything. And he has the right attitude. He has the right attitude. Back in Matthew chapter number 8, the Bible says, And he worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He didn't even ask, he said, he didn't, he didn't ask him, Lord, will you make me clean? That wasn't his request. You know what he first acknowledges? He first acknowledges the Lord's will. You know where you're at when he says, if thou wilt? You know where you're at right there? That's Gethsemane. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. If thou wilt. Lord, if you so choose, you can do it. What an attitude. What an attitude. It's not an attitude of, it's not an attitude of Lord, if you, uh, you need to do this. Why? Because I'm uncomfortable. Lord, you need to do this. Why? Because I don't like the situation I'm in. Lord, you need to do this. Because why? Because so-and-so is going through this and it's an admirable cause and they're a good person. You need to do this. 
No, it's, Lord, if you would, I know you can. Lord, if you would, I know you can. Isn't that different? (laughs) Isn't that different than what a lot of us do? You know what? It's important that we realize the order in which these come in. If thou wilt, I know you can. I know you can make me clean. Right? This is before Jesus Christ said two words to him. His submission that took place when he, uh, when he approached the Lord Jesus Christ happened before he ever said a word. His submission to the Lord was not conditional on what the Lord did for him. And I find it in my life even sometimes where sometimes the way that I pray and the way that I act, it's almost as if my submission to the Lord's will is conditioned on what He does for me. That's a dangerous place to be, right? That's not the right attitude. Why? Because He's the one that has power over the physical and power over the situational and power over the spiritual. He's the one that has the power of creation. He's the one that holds your heartbeat in His chest. Why am I negotiating with Him as if I have some kind of leverage? He submits and puts his back out there before he ever opened his mouth. But so many times, it's, Lord, if you do this, I'll do this. Lord says, "Uh, excuse me? (laughs) If you do this, Lord, if if you get me out of this situation, I'll never. (laughs) Right? Lord, if you just give me this, then I know that I'll stop doing this. Is that what you think? You think if the Lord just continues to give you what you want, then you will comply to His wishes? That's not how this works. That's not how this works. Now, without you even realizing, you've put yourself in the driver's seat. You have become self-serving, and now we're using God as if He's just a, a quarter vending machine. And I, and I put this in here, and when I put this in here, you do this, and then I get this, and, the, and it's, now it's transactional. My relationship with Jesus Christ is now transactional. Why? Because my submission is conditional on His doing for me what I think He needs to do for me. He couldn't have a better attitude. Lord, if you will, I know you can. You know what he's really saying? He's saying, Lord, if you will, I can't. Lord, if you will, this credit card can't fix my problem. God, this doctor ain't going to fix my problem. God, this money ain't going to fix my problem. God, this degree ain't going to fix my problem. A new car ain't going to fix my problem. A new job ain't going to fix my problem. But if thou wilt, thou canst. Lord, you can. Lord, you're able. You're able. 
When we talk, we sang that song this morning. Come let us adore him. And I asked the question, when, when do we adore him? Why do we adore him? Do we adore him when we get what we want? Do we adore him when all of our needs seem to be met? Do we adore him when we're satiated in whatever desire we may have? Or do we adore him because he can and has the power to do whatever he wants to do? For my good or for my loss? We have been conditioned to have such a humanistic outlook on the Lord Jesus Christ. As if He exists for our pleasure. When the Bible tells you, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And we take the reins. I heard the illustration from an old preacher one time. He says, it's like, you know, you have the keys to your car and you put the keys in the ignition. You say, Lord Jesus, come and ride in the passenger seat with me. He says, that'll never do. He says, so you invite the Lord Jesus Christ to sit in the driver's seat. And you say, Lord, I'll, I'll sit in the passenger seat and we'll go for a ride. He says, no, that won't do. He says, Lord, well, you get in the driver's seat and I'll sit in the back seat. How about that? I'll get in the back seat. He says, no, because before too long, you'll be, you'll be hanging through between the front seats and grabbing the wheel. He says, if you want to go anywhere with me, he says, you need to take the keys out of the ignition, go around to the trunk of the car, put them in the rear trunk, turn the keyhole, pop the trunk, lower yourself into that trunk and close the latch. And before you close it, chuck the keys out onto the ground and say, Lord, you drive from here. I'll just be back here, okay? That's your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The submission comes before the request. And the request is not what we thought it was. The request was first based on His will and then acknowledging His ability. <laughs> his ability. Why? Because He can. And I can't. <laughs> Amen? He responds to what he hears. He responds the right way. Look at this. It's re uh, he's restored by Jesus' hand. Look in verse number 3, if you will. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. It's amazing to me how God fixes stuff. It's amazing to me how God can come in, like I said before, into a situation that seems hopeless and bring hope to the hopeless. It's amazing how God can take a situation that's so bad and people have messed up so bad and they've made such a mess of everything in their life that God can come and somehow restore that individual as if nothing ever happened. It's amazing to me how God can hide things in our past for the sake of our future with Him. It's amazing to me how God can come into somebody who has been put in a situation at no fault of their own. But by the, the negligence and by the, and by the uh, uh, mistakes of others, and can still, despite the bad start, make an amazing end for an individual. Why? Because he's able? Because he's able? Because he can say, I will. Uh, he can say, I will. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, sometimes God says, what, what do you do when God says no? What do you do when God says no? You know what I think about that, and I've thought about that, and sure, I, maybe I'm just making a play on words, if you will, but I think Paul 
He requests the Lord. He says, I besought the Lord thrice. And uh, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for thee. I don't see that as God telling him no. I see that as God telling him, I'll give you grace. I will. I will. I think when we make our requests known unto God and, and, we, and, we, and we pray and we submit those things and we do those things that this leper man, uh, man did, leprous man did it, falling at the feet of Jesus and putting his aim strictly on the Lord Jesus Christ and nobody else, no side bets, you know, all, everything's straight on him. And when you come down with the right attitude and you have the right approach, I think the Father always does his best to say yes. It may not... He says, I will, be thou clean. Maybe he doesn't say, be thou clean. Maybe he says, I will, and my grace is sufficient. Maybe he says, I will, but in a few years from now. Maybe he says, I will, but I'll just sit here with you. He doesn't say no, as if he didn't hear him at all. Aiden had an ear infection a few weeks back, and I remember because we were getting ready to go to bed, and he hadn't had any kind of symptoms or anything like that. And uh, all of a sudden, he just starts screaming like crazy, you know? And there's nothing worse than seeing your child in pain. There's nothing you can do about it, right? And I remember he, he, he had, he's on the bed, and and Paige was rummaging through the medicine cabinet. What do we have? Do we have Tylenol? Do we have this? Do we have that? And she says, well, I'll just try to find a place that's open. It was like probably 11 o'clock at night or something, and ain't nobody open anymore. And uh, so she goes to the store and tries to find a couple of things to try to remedy before we get him into the doctor the next day, the clinic the next day. And um, he's just laying in my bed, and I'm sitting there with him, and he's just screaming and crying. My ear, my ear, and he's screaming, and he's crying, and he's screaming, and he's crying. He just wants it to go away. And I'm laying there next to him, and I'm, I'm crying, man. I'm like, this is horrible, right? You know what I'm doing the whole time? I'm saying, Lord, make the pain go away. Make, make it stop, Lord. Uh, help him. I, I, you know? And I was, I was helpless. There was nothing I could do to take his pain away, Right? Could God have taken his pain away that quick? Absolutely. Did he? No. You know what he did? He let him cry for two hours until eventually he fell asleep. I prayed and said, Lord, will you take his pain away? Lord, take his pain away. If, if you would take his pain away. I, you know what I, he didn't say no. I just think he said, yeah, I will eventually. I think he always says yes to us. I think, I th- you want to know why? Because the Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And don't you know that even if you're in pain, if Jesus Christ is with you, then that's a great thing. Oh, well, you've never been in pain before. Maybe not like you. You're right. But can you see past your own circumstance long enough to realize that even if you're in a bad state of affairs tonight, whether you're in this room or you're listening to it online, that Jesus Christ being with you, if you're in that pain, is better than if Jesus Christ is not with you and you're not in pain. Can we all agree to that? Or do we have such a shallow view of what Jesus Christ is and who he is? He says, I will. 
I will. And you know what? You can be in here tonight, and you can be in the worst situation. It's horrible. And when Jesus Christ steps in and puts forth his hand, the Bible says, and he touched him. And I don't know about you, but when Jesus comes by and gives me a touch, I don't care what state I'm in at that point, I'm a whole lot better when he touches me. And you know what he did to that man? He said, be thou clean. And maybe he didn't tell you the same thing, but I'll tell you this, he'll still touch you. He'll still take care of you. He'll still go through it with you. He'll still come in right at the right time, not a minute late, not a minute early. Jesus restores him by his own hand. But Jesus Christ makes a request that should be heeded. Look in, if you with, uh, will, uh, with me, if you will, in verse number 4. The Bible says, Jesus said unto him, See thou, tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. The real thought that sparked this message was Pastor's sermon this morning when he said that we should uh, be going out and we should be uh, showing people, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should be a testimony and we, should, and we should be folks that care about other people. And of course, we know that the most important thing in an individual's life is his personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that, right? But he says something here that I think is worth diving into for the next few minutes before I close. And Jesus Christ makes a request and he tells this man, after healing him of his leprosy. Now this man's got something to say. I want to say that, listen, you ain't got nothing to say if Jesus Christ doesn't touch you. Amen. If Jesus Christ hasn't touched you, you got nothing to say. You got nothing to share. You have nothing to add to the conversation. If Jesus Christ hasn't touched you, just mums the word. Because well, after all, what's a lost man going to tell somebody? What's a lost man going to tell somebody? How are they going to enter the conversation of the goodness of God and, and, and put forth any value? They're not going to. But here he is. He just comes off of this great thing. And Jesus Christ says, could you do me a favor and be quiet about it? Don't you think that's peculiar? Don't you think that's a little weird? Well, what does he say? He says... I want you to keep your mouth shut until you go and offer the gift that Moses commanded. Can I ask you this question? Do you think Jesus Christ had a reason for telling him to be quiet? You know the one that like came up with the anatomy of your body and all of its intricate systems and, and uh, all of the, all of the uh, impossible... Uh, equations that make up your universe and all these different things. Do you think he had a reason for saying that? In, Matt, or in Mark chapter 1, in Mark chapter 1, I'll read it for you. You don't have to turn there. I just would like you to listen to what I'm trying to get across right now. But in Mark chapter 1, he says, and he straightly charged him, forthwith sent him away, and said unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, 
and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. So I'll say this. His testimony was more important than his words. Does everybody see what I'm saying right now? Do you think he had, Jesus Christ had a reason for that? What do you think his reasoning is? Don't you think that it's important? As he's just getting on and he just makes this great, this great uh, series of miracles. And he says all these things on the Sermon on the Mount. That as he's going and he's preaching in these synagogues. That he does this miracle with this man with leprosy who has to show face to the priest, not to a physician, as I said at the beginning. Has to show himself to the priest and offer the offering that was set forth back in Leviticus underneath the, the, the Mosaic law. Don't you think it was more important for him to do what was right first before he opened his mouth? Because... Here's what you have to understand, folks. Perception matters. Perception matters. Well, I don't care what people think. That's immaturity. That's you being immature. I don't care what people think. When the Bible tells you to walk circumspectly. When the Bible tells you not to offend a weaker brother. When the Bible tells you all the time to be cognizant of those around you. You have the audacity to say, I don't care what people think about me. That's rebellion. Because Jesus Christ knew that all it took was him going around, starting to spread abroad the fame about what Jesus Christ had done after he didn't go to the priest and the priest says, oh, well, how come he's saying he's clean? Does somebody pronounce him clean? Because I'm the only one that's allowed to pronounce him clean. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm going by the letter of the law. And Moses said, they need to offer this sacrifice after they get pronounced clean. And if they don't, then they've gone against the Mosaic law. Don't you think that that could cause a problem for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ if he's trying to keep everything above board? Maybe he just kind of knew a little bit more than this guy knew. Right? Because, folks, perception is a big deal. And if things aren't done decently and in order, I don't care if your motives are right. If the perception's wrong, your motives don't matter. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You can have the right motives and then negate everything you're doing because you've made the perception wrong. Because you did it wrong. The optics. You ever hear that? You hear that a lot of times? You say, but what are the optics of this? What are people going to think? The world tells you today, who cares what they think? Live your best life now. Just be you. Who cares? That's why people wear like pink, purple, orange shoes and weird clothes. You see how people dress now? That's from a generation of folks that don't care what other people think. That's a problem. 
He says, go to the priest first. Why? Because it needs to be done decently and in order. Or else, you know what you'll do? You'll cause a bad reputation to come on what I'm doing, and I don't want you to do that. I've seen Christians, pastor gives a great illustration of this when he's on the ship, track rack, right? Passing out tracks all the time. One guy in his zeal messes up a ministry because the perception was wrong. Motive may have been right. Perception was wrong. Whole thing goes down the tubes, right? Overzealous, overzealous. I would say this, you better be careful about what you say if what you're doing doesn't match what you say. It's a rule of thumb. It's just a rule of thumb. I, I want to talk about Lord Jesus Christ. Paul recognized this, and when he said, I have to bring my body into subjection, why? Lest that when I preach, I myself should be a castaway. That means that when I say something, if my life doesn't match what I'm saying, then they can take those words, whether they be truth, they can be a 100% true, and they cast those words away because his actions don't match, and the perception is wrong. But yet... So what happens is, is people miss out on the truth and you're saying the truth, but your testimony is bad. And maybe it's not to the lost world. Maybe it's to your wife. Or maybe it's to your husband. Or maybe it's to your kids. Or maybe it's to your church members. Maybe your actions that maybe not the world sees, but other people see. You know what it does? The things that come out of your mouth, they all of a sudden just have no weight and they just fall to the floor. And nobody listens. Why? Because you have no credibility. George rang my bell some years ago. Pastor, he, he echoed it. I told George, ah, oh, forget, we had we just got these basketball goals out here, and I was gonna put these basketball goals up. And uh and everything in the world kept coming up and coming up, coming up, coming up. And I kept telling George, yeah, I'll get him up there, I'll get him up there, I'll get him up there. And George, of course, would keep going to pastor and complain to pastor. Oh, Joe, you got to put these basketball goals up. Yeah, I don't know what you got to put these basketball goals up, you know. And I get one up, but there's still one in the garage, you know. And he's not here. That's why I'm saying I'm doing that. <laughs> he's online. Hey, George, how you doing, brother? <laughs> you remember. <laughs> I remember pastor comes. I, I met him out here one day, and he... And he, and he uh, he talked with me very calmly and he said, he says, you realize you're losing your credibility when you tell somebody you're going to do something, you're going to do something, you're going to do something, and then you never do it. I mean, that tore my guts out, right? How am I supposed to stand behind the pulpit and preach and George sit there, is it, why, why would he take anything I have to say, right? Because now we say, oh, it's a basketball goal. Yeah, it's a basketball goal. But I'm supposed to come up here and impart some kind of spiritual wisdom to him sitting back there in a pew when I can't even put a basketball goal up? If I wasn't going to put the basketball goal up, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Amen. Amen. Brother, what was that? What was that? Hey, listen, bro. I'm sorry, okay? thought we were like, you know. <laughs> thought we were friends. <laughs> Tore my guts out. I'll never forget that lesson. It's better for you to say nothing than to say something and not follow through with it in your actions. 
Let me throw that on your head, though, because that's an easy, that's a very easy conclusion to draw from this. Because I was told by a very wise man one time, if you had the option between uh, zeal and knowledge, you should take zeal every time. Anybody here ever heard that before? If you have the option between knowledge and zeal, take the zeal. Because what good does knowledge do if you don't have any zeal? So what does this guy have? He doesn't have the knowledge. He doesn't have the foresight to see the implications of what he's doing. He's just blabbing his mouth off. Right? He's just, he's just blah, 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 telling everybody. He just, he, I don't think he has, a, he doesn't have like this horrible rebellious spirit towards Jesus Christ. He's super thankful. He's really excited about what just happened. He can't believe what just happened. It's like, I met Jesus Christ. He cleansed me of my leprosy. I don't know what to do but to tell somebody. You remember when you were like that? You remember when Jesus touched you? And it was like, I got to tell everybody. I started writing letters to all my family. A two-page, three-page letter. I still got it. Telling them I loved them and God had saved me and God had called me to preach and I'm learning the Bible. and He's coming back soon. You got to get saved. And they thought I was crazy. But it's like all of a sudden you get touched and it's like, I got to tell somebody. Right? So I'm going to flip that on its head. So because everything in the Christian life has to be balanced. You understand? A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. So you need to take a little bit of the salt that is taming your zeal with a little bit of the pepper, which is what I'm about to tell you. It's a little spicy, a little hard to take. The question I have is, why don't you have that zeal anymore? Because I know why he had it. He just got touched. His leprosy just got healed. And he's full of zeal. He's full of something to say. He can't wait to tell everybody. He didn't care if they were a family member. He didn't care if they were at the gas station. He didn't care if it was their waiter or waitress. He didn't care who they were. He just had to tell somebody. Let me ask you something. Why don't you have that zeal anymore? Could it be that, as was warned about in this topic of leprosy over in Leviticus chapter 13, that it's not guaranteed it doesn't come back? That you always have to go in and if you see that little rising in the flesh and a little boil pops up, a little hair you know, loses out of that spot and a little redness happens, a yellow hair or white hair and all. He says, you got to go get checked out. You got to go get checked out. Because what I know, what I do know, is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you don't have that zeal to tell, what I know about soul winning and what I know about witnessing, and I said this before, the most important thing in your Christian life is not soul winning. The most important thing in your Christian life is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because witnessing is a byproduct 
of your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand? So you can be on either side of the fence. You can be full of zeal, and maybe you're telling everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But the problem is, is your actions are not matching what's coming out of your mouth. And so what you realize is you're actually causing more detriment to your testimony than what you're doing. You can't overcompensate with more witnessing. Because you're hurting yourself. You're, you're devaluing your words. Because your testimony doesn't line up with your mouth. But on the flip side... If you're not talking about it, that tells me there's something wrong with your personal relationship with Lord Jesus Christ and maybe some leprosy is getting back in. Right? Maybe, maybe, and you know what? It's so, it's so elementary to think that it's some kind of visible sin that everybody can see. Because guess what, folks? We all are going to struggle with sin until the day we die. You know that, right? But, you know... It's, it's, it's just a, a given fact. If you're not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ in your daily life, I'm telling you tonight, I'm not, this isn't my opinion. This isn't some, you know, just preacher, you know, just kind of trying to find a, a passage to match up with his, his hobby horse. No. If you're not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something wrong with your personal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something wrong with it. You're not as close as you may think you are. And a telltale sign is how often does he come out of your mouth to other people? How often does he come out of your mouth when you are in conversation? Or has it or is it always about you? Or is it always about something else? Is it always about politics? Is it always about, you know, what's current events? Is it always, what is it, what are you talking about all the time? I know in a group this size, there's some of you in here that can't remember the last time you actually witnessed to somebody. Amen. There's some of you in here tonight, you don't remember the last time you had a track on you at that opportune time. You don't remember the last time you got into one of them conversations. Pastor talks about those conversations, not to throw it in your face, to like show you that this is what you should be doing. Are you having these conversations? Why not? And then if I might go back to what the first two points were, which were really, really positive. Right? When you have a God that has the ability to handle anything, whether it's physical or situational or spiritual, whatever problem you may have tonight, whatever leprosy has creeped in, why do we think we can hide it? Because you know what people do? They never, I shouldn't say they never, they seldom correlate their lack of talking about the Lord to the fact that they have something in their life that they're not trying to deal with. 
And the reason, and the reason for that a lot of times, and I'm speaking from personal experience, is we have somehow justified it or normalized whatever that is, and we've learned to live with it, and we think that we can live the Christian life like normal with it there. But the problem is you can't because it's affecting you. And I asked the question tonight, why don't you just do what this leper did? Yeah, you don't need to get saved again. But like I said, leprosy can come back. Stuff still comes up. Situations still arise. Physical ailments still arise. Spiritual problems still arise. So why are you trying to, why are you trying to hide your, your problem? Why are you trying to hide it? Is it because you've forgot how to worship God? Has this altar become so stale that we look at it as if it's some admission to the crowd of guilt and we're ashamed of... This is, this is where we worship. This is where things get straightened out. This is, this is the apparatus that God has given us to get face down and present our back. Say, Lord, I'm no funny business here. God, I'm bitter. I'm bitter with my husband. I'm, I'm bitter with my wife. I'm bitter with my kids. God, I'm envious. I see this other person, they're doing good, and I wish I was doing as good as them. And Why are they doing as good as me? This person, they did this to me a long time ago, and I just can't get over it. God, I'm angry. I don't even know why I'm angry. I'm just angry all the time. God, I'm stressed out. I got too much stuff on my plate. And nobody understands what I'm going through. I got myself in this situation. Sometimes you're just so beaten down because you know that you put yourself in your own situation and you're so frustrated at yourself. Can I ask you, why does that keep you away from worshiping the Lord who's the only one that can take care of that thing and put that joy back in your heart and get your zeal back where it's supposed to be? Why do we hide from Him? Why do we hide from Him? Is it because we're so used to it? Is it because we're so accustomed? Listen, the last two years, Pastor said it. It's been rough. This church has been through a lot in two years. You went through COVID. You lost a dear brother and friend in this church. And the church hasn't healed from that yet. It's still, it's still an open wound. But can I say this? Whatever it is that's keeping you from opening your mouth with a clear conscience and letting your actions back up what you say, the only way to fix it is through true worship. Lord, I'm down on my face. I got nothing to hide. I don't know why I've been trying to hide this. I don't know why I've been trying to carry this on my own. I don't know why, when it's so easy to lay it down, when I know that you have the ability to fix it, is it, are you afraid of his response? I told you, I don't think he ever says no. I just think he says yes in a way that you may not like. So let me ask you tonight. If we're going to let our light so shine among men that they may first see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven.
Would you be willing to worship the Lord tonight? We didn't do it already in the service. Worship happens after you respond to what you hear. And maybe I got my finger, maybe I'm, maybe I'm totally way off tonight, Pastor, I don't know. But this is what God gave me. And I know this. And I've been studying this thing out. And I know I've said it a couple times in sermons here in the past, but when a cow has a hoof problem, you don't see a lesion from the outside. A lesion takes place from bruising or walking on concrete and all of a sudden, that cow just starts to walk funny. She starts to be lame in certain foot. And the only way to fix that thing is to put that cow in what they call a crush. You put it in a chute, and you close the door so she can't get out, and you, and you have her bound up like this, and you put those feet up, and then you, they take a grinder, and they grind those feet down, and you look at them, and they look like normal hooves. Well, what happened underneath the surface because of bruising, nothing from the outside, but something on the inside has caused a lesion to form, an infection to take place, and then pressure starts to build up between the corium and the hoof, and pus starts to build up, and that's what makes the cow lame. And the only thing that makes it better is when they start to take that knife and peel layer after layer after layer, and eventually they get to the bottom of the hoof layer right between the corium, and that pus squirts out and relieves all the pressure. And then and only then, once they remove all that loose hoof, can that hoof heal and she can walk on it normally again. You say, what do you need to do? You need to come down to the crush and be totally helpless and worship the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to relieve some of this pressure because I'm hurting and I know I'm hurting. You want to know why you're hurting? Because it's not coming out of your mouth anymore. Not like it used to. So what's taking place? Let's bow our heads for the word of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for allowing us to be in church here tonight. I pray that something that was said, Lord, would be of help and be of uh, benefit to your people. God, help us to be always quick, Lord, to show that well, we're in submission to you. Lord, this man, Lord... He was submitted whether or not you gave him the answer he was looking for. And Father, I pray we'd be the same way. I pray, Father, as Pastor said before, Lord, that Lord, we would, we would come and, and we, would, we would rise up through some of the trials and the struggles that we've had in the last couple years. And, and God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be a, a church that, Lord, through our actions and through our words, Lord, we can testify of how you touched us. Lord, that we can be the that we can be the beacon of light that you called us to be. And Lord, that you may draw men, Lord, unto, unto, uh, unto you, Lord, through our testimony and through our words. We love you now. I pray you'd bless this time now. In Jesus' name, amen.